Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. Lena Abu-Jamra here, and I am so glad you're back. Listen, if it's your first time here, welcome. If you've been here before, then you know that every week we get to spend time talking about uh, faith, life, culture, and all sorts of things. We are now in a series in the book of Hebrews, and I have heard some great things from you about it. It's called the Confidence Series, and I hope it's encouraging you. Hey, I've got some great news. My new book is out. Don't tell anyone you're reading this, uh, A Christian Doctor's Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. That's a whole lot of title, but it's really a great book about forgiveness and love and intimacy and sex. And so if you want to find out more about me, get the book. It's on Amazon, or you can find out about it at drlinabook.com. Honestly, everybody who's reading it is connecting with it. It's been really um, exceeding my expectations in in terms of its reaction from readers. And so um, this is a book that I was nervous to put out, but honestly, you guys have been so gracious and encouraging. And if you haven't read it, uh, do so, get it. I think you will not regret it. (laughs) That rhymed, all right. Uh, So uh, without further ado, let's hit the Hebrews study for today. And uh, uh, this is a 10-week study. We're now uh, well on our way here. I hope you can sit back and enjoy it. Or if you're out and about, uh, just listen up, pay attention, and let's pray that God moves in our hearts as we dig into his word and the spirit of God moves in us. Thanks again for checking in. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. All right, guys, we are in the study of the book of Hebrews, a series I've called the Confidence Series. And I think by now you know why, because every week we're building our confidence in who Jesus is. And really, this has been a study about how Jesus is better, a study that was aimed to the people who were uh, of Jewish origin. That was the, the goal of the writer is to write to Jewish believers, mostly believers. Some, though, that were listening had sort of been coming to the gathering of the saints, but they weren't committed fully to Christ and others still had not put their faith in Christ. But all of them were facing heavy persecution. All of them were under pressure from their families, from their old ways. And and the temptation was to go back to their old ways. So the writer of the book of Hebrews basically is writing to implore them to go on, to stay unshaken in faith and to do so because of the fact that Jesus is indeed better. This wasn't a matter of like apples and oranges. I like apples, you like oranges, but it was reminder that everything that we believe in the Old Testament is meant to lead us to the person of Jesus Christ. And so the New Testament is written with that in mind, that there is someone who is better and that we're never mistaken to put behind us that which is elementary and immature and young. And of course, he even uses that language of the milk of of, of not being as mature in our understanding in the Old Testament. But now in Christ, we've grown up and and we need to be able to, to grow in our faith and withstand the persecution. And so right now, Maybe you're facing pressures. I regularly go to Lebanon where I meet believers from other backgrounds like Muslim backgrounds and, and non, you know, not traditional Christian backgrounds. And, and many of them have come to Christ from, from and face the same sort of persecutions. And, and the more we focus on Christ, the more I've seen these people focus on Christ who are facing avid persecution, the more I see them grow in strength. And that's what we want to get out of Hebrews. So whether you are in the faith and growing in the faith, and maybe there are some things in the world that you know, push you back into a way of worldliness, of tradition, of culture, rather than the ways of Christ. This is a study for all of us, not just to the Jewish people that he was writing to before. And we've seen, even as we've studied the past nine, today we're coming to chapter nine, but even in the past eight chapters, we've seen this 
this encouragement rise up in us. And I've seen this in my life where God has used the teaching of the book of Hebrews to encourage me and to convict us. How much have we received this word of conviction of, of leaving the elementary things behind, of not you know, of paying attention to the things we've learned, that we would not drift. And so many warnings there for believers who maybe have one foot in the door and one foot out the door. And so week after week, we've looked at our confidence that, root, that is rooted in the fact that God speaks, that God is in control, that Christ is faithful, that he loves us, that he does not lie. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is better. And today, we are going to focus in two chapters on this concept that we can be confident because of the cross. Simply put, we can be confident because of the cross. The cross is the, the central part of scripture. It is where, where, of course, death happened, but life took place. And we're going to look at how Jesus is better because of the cross and how that ought to give us every confidence in the world. And we'll see towards the end of chapter 10 of the therefore of what it means that Jesus is is the embodiment of everything that was symbolized in the Old Testament. He lived it on the cross. He gave his life for us, rose again, and how that ought to change everything we do. And so if you haven't thought about the cross in a while, listen, why not? Because that is the essence of everything we believe. Think about it. Christianity is rooted in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, who rose again three days later, who lives in the heavenlies now, but who also has made a place in our hearts that, that in believing him, in simply trusting the sacrifice of uh, him on the cross for our sins, we can have this life eternal and abundant. And so this is what we're going to focus on now. And by the way, it's interesting because today, a lot of the concepts we've sort of hit on a little before. You're going to be like, oh, I heard that before, but we're going to look at it in more depth. And really the impetus of the whole book of Hebrews is to focus on Jesus, who is better, is to look at the supremacy of Christ and to consider Jesus. And we were told even in the book of Hebrews to consider Jesus. So if you have not meditated on the cross in a while, you need to, because that is the, the fuel that keeps us going in the Christian faith. And so let me start reading in chapter nine, and then I'm going to give you four points about uh, Christ, how we can have confidence in him, but we'll get to those in a minute. Let's start by reading chapter nine, and I'm going to read bits and pieces. I might end up making my way through all of it. I think there's great value in reading the word of God and, and to try to understand it. And I think we've done that throughout the book of Hebrews, and we'll continue to do it now. So it says in verse one, now, even the first covenant, remember, we've spent a lot of times comparing like the Old Testament practices and how Jesus is better. We just looked at how he's better than the angels and then Moses and then Aaron and then priesthood. And now we're going to look at some of those Levitical sacrifices. I've talked about this before, but we're going to look at it in more depth. In fact, many of the things I mentioned last week are even explained in more detail in chapter nine. As I started prepping for this week, I thought, man, this is what we talked about last week. So if you were sort of wondering where that came from, you're going to pick up, pick up on it here. So verse one says, now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place for holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. I told you guys last week how uh, every year uh, there would be, uh, well, every day the priest would go in and, and have a sacrifice in the outer. They would atone for the sins in the outer portion. But then once a year, the, the high priest would go into the, the holy of holies and offer an atonement for uh, at Passover for all of the people. So we're going to read about that. For a tent was prepared in verse 2, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain, was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God 
in the Old Testament, they would take it, like the people of Israel believed that if it was there, it provided them blessing. There was once where, where they, they left the Ark of the Covenant with the people of the Philistines, and then they wanted to bring it back, because remember, it was such a big deal to move the Ark of the Covenant, and, and when that happened, where they ended up leaving in the land of the Philistines, it was because once they were moving it, and one man touched it accidentally, Yuza, and he ended up being being killed for that. And so, so the Ark of the Covenant was considered the holiest thing and it was very reverent and it symbolized the presence of God. And, and so here he, he's talking about that, how having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold and which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things. We cannot speak now in detail. He's like, okay, let's, let's kind of go through this. But incidentally, every bit of the description from verses one through verses five point to Jesus. When you look at like the things that were in the, for a tent was prepared, the first section, and he says where there was, um, there was uh, the things that he had there, the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. And then the, and then you look at everything that is described there basically points to Jesus, who is the bread of life, who is the light of the world, who is, you know, the lampstand, the life of the world, the bread of the presence, he's the bread of life. And so you start seeing these, everything in the uh, uh, temple points to Jesus. Now in verse six, he says, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But in the second, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. So not everybody could go into the Holy of Holies, only, only the high priest could until Jesus, right? He's the one who broke, we're gonna get into this in a minute. But so he's reminding us again, the, the new way, the new covenant, Jesus is better than the old ways. The old ways were limited. You couldn't, you couldn't practice worship like we can now. That was the whole point of the new covenant. And so it was limited in access. And so, uh, and so he says in verse nine, which is symbolic for the presentation, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Re Reformation. So the Old Testament ways was a limited access. It was imperfect cleansing. They offered them cleansing, but it only lasted for a year. Every year they would have to go back and do this ritual. They would kill an animal, they would shed the blood, and they would symbolize that this forgiveness, but it was temporary. So this was a limited access. It was a temp imperfect cleansing, and it was temporary in nature. The Old Covenant was temporary. Now, we're going to compare to Jesus in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered, look at, look at this, once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, he used to kill a goat to offer the blood, not by means of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Remember, we're talking about how Jesus is better. No longer now do we have a limited access. Now the cleansing is complete. It is once and for all. It is permanent. It is not temporary. He says in verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Jesus, or will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so I am confident because of the cross. Here's the first point. I have confidence because Jesus has paid the price for me. 
That's it. Very simply put, Jesus paid the price once and for all on the cross. His blood was shed. And the point wasn't that the blood was shed, but that he died. I mean, so so uh, we're going to get into this discussion of the blood here in a minute. Let me keep reading in verse 15, because this is really, as you understand these concepts and read these verses, I think it sort of makes sense. I'll offer you a little bit of commentary in a minute. But verse 15 says, therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant. We've already talked about that. He's the the tipping point of the new covenant. He's the reason for the new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So in the first covenant, it was all based on law. You sinned if you didn't uphold the law, which nobody could. The law, you couldn't live up to the law. So everybody was sinful. Every year you'd have to come before the high, you know, you have to atone for the sins of everybody every year. And every year you would like, you know, just carry so much weight. And and so daily the priest would offer an offering, but once a year they would offer that that blood that was shed. And, and imagine even like when you think about like that time, it wasn't like one sacrifice for all the people. There was every family was had an animal that they would sacrifice. And so the estimation was there were, oh, there were over 300,000 goats and lambs killed uh, in the Passover day. Imagine how bloody this whole thing was, but all of it really pointed to the coming of Christ who once and for all with one death, because he was perfect, he could atone for the sins of the world. And so, and so therefore he's the mediator in verse 16, it says, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And so the will is like, it's basically this, you know, what's to come. And then once the death happens, then you become heirs of it. So the Bible often speaks of in the New Testament of us being heirs of Christ. And, and all of that is based on the fact that Christ died. And now the will can be instated, you know. So therefore, even verse 18, therefore, not even um, the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Many people now in 2022, uh, there's so much talk among seminaries about the blood wasn't that important. Or, you know, there's sort of a debate about whether the blood was needed. Why is it so gory? And, and the point wasn't just the blood. The point is that the blood was shed to prove that there was death. Death had to happen. The death of Christ had to happen. The shedding of blood. In fact, we're going to read an importance about the shedding of blood. In verse 19, he goes on to say, For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, was the cleansing, the hyssop and the wood, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And here it is. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And uh, so the blood is of utmost importance. Why? Because it shows that there was death and death was mandated in order to pay the price for sin. This is the key. Jesus had to die. There's no other way for salvation. So it wasn't, we're not, we're not saved because we're nice. Or we're not saved because we're good. We're not saved because Jesus likes us better than others. We're not saved because, you know, Jesus chose it. No, we're saved. Of course, Jesus chose it. But how did it happen? The means of salvation is that a price had to be paid. And that price was paid through the death of Jesus, who was perfect. We've talked repeatedly in Hebrews how he was perfect. Why is that of utter importance? Because he took the burden of sin on the cross that was not his. He offered the sin for us. So it was a sacrifice done for us so that we can have confidence. Why? Because Jesus has paid the price for us. He didn't pay the price for himself. 
He didn't have any sin to atone for. He was simply the lamb shed. Without that shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so in his death, we are given forgiveness. And so uh, because he is the perfect sacrifice, only he can atone for my sin. Because he died, I am eternally forgiven. And because he called me to him, I can receive his eternal uh, inheritance. And so let's read a little bit more just to build on this a bit. Thus, he says it was necessary in verse 23 for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. Remember, the Old Testament served as a copy of what was to come. And so now Christ is no longer the copy, he's the real thing. And so for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. So he didn't just go into the holy of holies. Now he goes into heaven. Remember multiple times in Hebrews, you said how he's sitting at the right hand of God, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer him himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. Is that you? Does that describe you today? Are you eagerly waiting for him? Have you received the blood of Christ shed for you on behalf of your sins? Have you received his righteousness? Has he taken your sin? Have you asked him to save you? Have you given your life to him? And if not, why not? Think about it. Year after year in the Old Testament, for thousands of years, he used to offer a sacrifice until the year that Jesus died. After that, no more sacrifices. Eventually, AD 70, the temple itself was destroyed. But that was that was necessary because there was no more need to, to kill a lamb every year because the lamb had already been slain. And so we can have confidence. Remember, he's writing to a Jewish audience who understands the symbolic nature of every one of those rituals of the Old Testament, who has practiced them. They grew up practicing them. They've seen those things. And now their temptation, though they know Christ, though they put their faith in Christ, their temptation is to go back to these lies, to these faith, not, not lies, but the copies of what was to come when they already had that who was better. And so he's urging them to say, look, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that you've believed. Don't turn back. Don't go back to the elementary things. Put your faith in Christ. You can be confident because of the cross where Christ once and for all has died for your sins. And so the question for us today is, are we eagerly awaiting him? Do we understand that? Have we given our life to him? Have we embraced his sacrifice for us on the cross? Or are we still trying hard to, to do it our own way or to, to believe whatever the winds of this world tells us is true or saves us? Listen, works will not save you. It is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy through the regeneration of the spirit that we're saved and through the washing of the blood. And so we see this play out in Hebrews so clearly. And so you can have confident, confidence because Jesus has paid the price. Here's a second. You can have confidence because Jesus has paved the way for you. Let me read into chapter 10. And we've already covered that concept. We're going to look at it even more. Um, it says uh, towards, actually, this comes a little bit later, but uh, where are we? No, verses 24 to 28 sort of talks about that, where we're talking about how he uh, now is no longer um, going once, you know, he's not just going into the holy places, but he's made his way in verse 24. He says, for Christ has entered uh, into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Uh, let me read in chapter 10 because I want to talk about the veil being torn. For since the law in verse 1 has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form 
of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, the Old Testament, the laws, they were good, but they couldn't make you perfect. And so they couldn't draw you as near. They were limited in access. And so he says, uh, verse two, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. <clears throat> for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. Now, what's he talking about here? This is a quote from the Old Testament. Sacrifices and offerings is that annual offering of the shedding of the, the lamb. They would have to find a lamb and kill it. And, and they would put the, you know, that was a symbol of the atonement of sins for that year. But, 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 but. He said, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body, the body of Christ, have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Christ is talking about how he is the sacrifice. Uh, verse 8, for chapter 10, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, well, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. All right. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, <coughs> offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. This is the new covenant. This is was referred to in Jeremiah about how the new covenant is intimate. It's close. It's in us. It's no longer something that the priest does on our behalf. We can now have access to God through Christ. Then he adds, verse 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Think about how much better this New Testament way of Christ is. We now have forgiveness. It's ensured when Christ died, he died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. All of the people in the Old Testament who had put their faith in the coming of Christ, by the way, uh, they had not gone to heaven. They were living in a, in a place called Sheol and and. Christ, after he died, he went and got them. And, and basically at that point, this was the time that they could go and live with him. And so there was this time in the Old Testament where it was a future faith. Now we look back on what has happened on the cross and we put our faith in Christ in, in what he has already accomplished on the cross. And yet that death on the cross pays the price for all of our sins. And it is in our trust in him and our embracing that atonement that we can be confident that we are forgiven once and for all. We can rest in him. That does not mean we are perfect now but we are working towards that. We are allowing the Spirit of God to change us, to sanctify us. This is the whole point of our Christian life is to become more and more Christ-like, not to earn his salvation, but to continue to grow in his salvation, in, in, our, in our sanctification. And so uh, I have confidence because Jesus has paid the price for me. I have confidence because Jesus has paved the way for me. Because he died, I can now live for him. Because he sits in the heavens, I have access to the Father and because he is a merciful high priest, I have boldness to enter uh, into his throne. And so we're going to move into that now. So he's really spent a good bit of time, a chapter and a half, sort of comparing the old to the new. It, 
kind of, again, making this argument that here's what we did in the old and here's how Jesus has fulfilled it. And we see it all in the cross of Christ. And, and it is a reminder to the Jewish believers that don't turn your back. And now he's going to force that application point moving from chapter 10 verses 19 through the end. It really becomes very practical and very personal. And you're going to see there's a warning in there, but then we're going to move into just a call to endurance. And so if you're coming today with any sort of hemming and hawing, sort of shakenness in your faith, how do you get shake? How do you get strong in faith? How do you stand unshaken? How do you endure the persecution that's coming your way? Well, first you look at Jesus. Uh, you look at what he's done, the finished work of Christ on the cross. And then because of that, we can move now into uh, the rest of chapter 10, which says this in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, remember every time we see therefore where he's built sort of this argument. Here's the doctrine. Here's the truth. Now, because of that, here's the application. And so he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, remember again, he's made a way for us. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. What, what does he mean there? Remember in Matthew, uh, I don't know if you remember, but in Matthew 27, after the death of Christ, a few crazy things happen and they're described in chapter 27 of Matthew uh, verses 45 on there through 56-ish, but he talks about how it got really, after the, the Jesus died, he cries out, behold, it says in verse 51, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Think about that. There's a temple curtain. It wasn't ripped from bottom to top, but from top to bottom because it was it was God opening a way for us. It was coming from him opening way to us so that we can have access through Christ to him. And so we see how what happened at the time of the crucifixion. And so this is what he's referring to here in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, second or third time, he, I think this is the third time in Hebrews he, he invites us again, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Three, let us. So he tells us the doctrinal truths. Here's what Jesus has done. Now he says there's three things as a result of that. Number one, let us draw near. Okay, you can be confident. You go, but you don't know how my day was. I keep on sinning. I keep falling. Listen, you're forgiven if you've put your faith in Christ. If you've asked God to forgive you once and for all, he's paid the price for your sin. Again, you need, probably need to ask for cleansing. You've got to recognize before God that you're not living in the way that he wants you to, but you're forgiven if you've put your, your trust in Christ. And so he urges you, let us draw near. If anything, this should motivate us to be holy, to want to be holy, because we have this confidence that we can come before God the Father with a heart that is clear. He says, with full assurance of faith. So let us draw near. The second, let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't be, meh, you know, let's be strong in faith. No wavering, one foot in the door, one foot out the door. He's, he's reminding him, he's like, be all in. Don't stop now. Follow after Jesus. Consider Jesus. Just don't be swayed by the culture, by persecution, by what your old family and friends are taunting you with. Man, there's never a better time. We're approaching the holidays now. This is a word for someone. You need to 
Hold fast to the confidence of your hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. How do we know he's faithful? Because he spent the entire Old Testament telling you he's coming and then he came. He is faithful. He did that which he promised he would do. And he rose from the dead. And so we have the confidence. We know that. And, and then the third let us. So let us draw near. Are you drawing near to God? Let us hold fast. Are you holding fast? And thirdly, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is critical. People have used these verses to call Christians to be part of the church. You know, a lot of pastors say, you know, quote this verse and say, you need to be in the church on Sunday. I grew up hearing that. But, but it's more than that. It is a reminder to us of what it is that keeps us strong in faith and, and committed to faith. You know, he's given us the ability to have intimacy with him. He's given us a hope without wavering in the knowledge that we're pure, that we have a God who promises who's faithful. But then he's also given us this body of believers that gathers locally, that is meant to be not a duty to perform, not a curse that we need to put up with, but in fact, an invitation into what it looks like to live with the body of Christ. And if you are looking for ways to be strong and unshaken, you've got to be committed to the gathering of believers. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so the third point I wrote for is I have confidence because Jesus has provided all the help that I need. What is that help? Well, it's his promises that I can hold on to. We just saw that he's faithful. He gives us, uh, we, can, we can put our hope in him because he who's promised is faithful. His promises help me to hold on. His people encourage me to go on. And then his punishment uh, reminds me of his holiness, the fact that Jesus was punished in order for me to have righteousness. All of those things move me towards a life of holiness. And so, and, 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 and the more you think about the fact that you can be intimate with God, the more we are to repudi repudiate sin. Though our flesh might still long for the things of the world, our, the temptation, I, you know, it's funny, we think about Jesus who was tempted in the wilderness and remember he was, he was so hungry and Satan's first temptation was turn the stone into bread and, and I'm so moved by this example because Jesus said, no, I won't do that. And what most of us would have been like, yeah, give me the bread, I'll eat it and then I'll ask for forgiveness. And yet the way to Christ, to intimacy with Christ is to learn to say, no, we don't need the bread. What I need is the living bread, Jesus, and, and he's the one who's going to fulfill me. And it's a hard call, but it is the only way for us to find the peace and the joy that we need. And so Jesus has given me every provision I need to make it. And one of those provisions is other believers and the community and the gathering of believers. And, and I'm telling you in 2022 post-COVID, the easiest thing for Christians has been to neglect going to church. Or I'm telling you, I'm living through this. I wrote the book, Fractured Faith. You know that a few years ago. And, and there's enough reasons I'm aware of them of wanting to, to, to walk away from church or to hold church at arm's length. You know, it's like holding it like, like, a, like a, you know, a football player who's, who's keeping people away from him, trying to hold on to the football. We're like holding on to ourselves. and don't want anyone to come near us. But listen, that is not going to strengthen us. If you want to be strong in faith, surround yourself with believers, live in the community of believers. And I know this is a means to do that, even this community Bible study, but you need the local gathering of other believers. Not my idea, but God's idea as a means for you to be strong, to hold fast to the promises so that your hope is unwavering and to be reminded that we have this ability to draw near to God in every way. And so are you doing those things? Why do we do them? Because we have a savior who's died for us, who's paid the price for us. We have life. We have access. We have unlimited forgiveness. Think about that. And so I'll finish here chapter uh, 10. There's a little warning that comes in now. He says, remember, he's talking to an audience made up of those who are all in 
uh, just need an encouragement. There was a group that was semi-in and there was a group that still didn't believe. And so there's a warning now. He says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And here he's talking about those who become apostate, those who maybe started off in the faith and are rejecting uh, the way of the Lord. And, and there are many now, I was thinking as I was reading and studying this passage, how there are many now and take pride in the fact that they no longer believe, that they used to believe, and, and some have even described themselves as apostate. And it is a scary thing when people use that language. And whether it is a forever thing, you know, many Christians come back after we've seen these examples of people who have come on social media and says, hey, I no longer believe, I'm an apostate. That's what he's talking about here, the people who have turned their back from God. And, and you know, the temptation is to want to be like, well, you know, truthfully, we don't know people's hearts. There are people in the church who might be in that category. There are others who are outspoken about it. We don't know how the story will end. I get that. But sometimes we're too quick to say that. Not enough fear in our hearts of understanding that it is a serious thing to have heard the word of God and the way to salvation and the picture of Christ and the knowledge of Christ as a payment for sin and to have even maybe even believed it at one time and now saying that I no longer believe that. Um, that is a sin that grieves the Holy Spirit. And so I think that this is a, a serious thing. And so, you know, I think, I think um, uh, the idea of apostasy, by the way, just a reminder, it is not just that you're sinning, like everybody sins, we get that, but it is, uh, it is the concept of, of persistent an intentional sin, unwillingness to turn back, but really a, a, a denial of Christ as Savior and, and apostasy in that vein. And so uh, just something for us to meditate on and to ask the Spirit of God, God, where am I in this? Where am I? Am I, uh, am I um, sensitive to your spirit? Am I willing to change? Uh, yes, it may be a struggle, but yes, it may be slow growth, but, but is my heart and, you know, turning towards the Lord? And, and, and those who generally, in my experience and my my observation is that those who are asking that question are typically the ones, those who are quick to be convicted and say, am I, am I sinning deliberately? Those of you who are asking that generally are the ones who I'm not worried about because you're looking to be close to God and you want a holiness. And so may God give you the grace that you need. And so, and so here's the last few verses of encouragement to you, because I really believe at the end of the day, the majority of the listeners in the book of Hebrews were people who were in the faith, who were walking after Christ, who were going through some difficult days and who need an encouragement. And that's what the writer is doing. He's encouraging them. Don't give up. Christ is real. He died for you. There's reason for your hope. He's better than all the other stuff that you think that people are telling you will make you happy. No, only Christ is the way. He's making that argument over and over again. And here, this, this, the next few verses are amazing. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, remember again, therefore, what's, pay attention when he uses that word. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. 
but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Here he goes, then he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is awesome. This is it right there. Listen, we have faith that there's this, there's this constant battle of fear, people pleasing, and then fear of God and God wanting to please him. And, 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 and he's saying, man, man, don't throw it away. You know what's coming. The last point in the Allah here, I can have confidence because Jesus has promised a better future for me. The whole point of the death of Christ and resurrection isn't just that, oh, I got my sins forgiven here. It's that we're going somewhere. There's an eternity and that eternity is with him. And so if you're ever tempted to throw away your faith, do not because there is more coming. And so he says, don't shrink back. You have need of endurance. And this is a call to be strong. This is a call to understand that there's a better day coming, that everything we do is not in vain, that God sees us, God knows us, God's given us everything we need to make it. And we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It starts with faith, faith in Christ. It ends with faith. Listen, it's all about faith. And to make a point, he's going to spend the next chapter in Hebrews 11 talking about those men and women in the faith who came before us. That's going to be where we fix our eyes in the next um, teaching. And so I can't wait for next week. It's going to be such an incredible um, uh, lesson. These chapters really focus on Christ, on the work of Christ, on what he's done for us on the cross on how he was willing to die for our sins in order to give us eternity with him. And, and not just eternity then, but now, the moment you put your faith in Christ, you have access, you have presence, you have intimacy. It is no longer a faraway faith that is there, you know, for the priest to, to talk to God on our behalf. Remember, Moses would talk to God, everybody else would hide their faces. They couldn't even look because the brightness was so severe. And, and now we are given access, every one of us. We don't need a priest, we don't need our pastor. We can worship God in closeness because of Christ in us. And so the gift of salvation is, is, is a precious, precious gift. And you know, it's so easy in this world even to think about you know, all the unfulfilled longings of our life. Some people want kids, some people want marriage, some people want you know, whatever it is, your kids to get saved, you know, all good things, but ultimately all pale to the knowledge of Christ and how, how I just think about how much in my life sometimes I forget that and how much I need to be reminded of the preciousness of this relationship that exceeds all others. And, and, and you might be going through a phase where something else is very important to you right now. And maybe you're wrestling with God over it. I go through seasons where I wrestle with God over things that I want in this life. And yet nothing compares to what I have in Christ. And I think it's these types of teachings, these passages of scripture are a good place for us to stop and be reminded like nothing that we desire in this life compares to what we have in Christ already. This is what Peter talked about. We already have everything we need in Christ. And this is more than just an esoteric belief. It is a reality. And the more we meditate on it, the more we practice it together, the more we talk about it like this, the more our hearts find freedom from those things that we think we desperately need. This doesn't mean God's not gonna give them. It doesn't mean God doesn't wanna pray, doesn't want us to pray for them. Yes, yes, but ultimately, our heart's deepest longings is Christ himself. And so I think we walk away from this teaching sort of asking these questions, God, where am I with you? And am I reaching the depth of intimacy with you? And what do I need to do in my life to be more aware of your presence, of your gift, of your goodness for me? And am I drawing closer to you, sinning less, loving you more? And ultimately, are you gonna persevere? Don't shrink back, have faith. Everything we believe is true and then some. Don't question it, stop. You know, you can you can sit and think about it, but, but it is so true. Everything in this 
book points to the coming of Christ. And then, of course, the empty uh, cross, the empty tomb points to the resurrection of Jesus, which is where our strength lies. And so uh, let's not let's let, let's make much of him. Let's make much of Jesus. This has really been the message of Hebrews. And I think if you walk away with that tonight, then then the goal has been accomplished. Well, that's the end of our time together, and I'm so glad you checked in. I hope that you found this study useful. Listen, I'd love for you to come back next week. We drop new episodes every week, and we're going to continue with the Hebrew study. Hey, why don't you use the time during the week to read through what we just uh, studied? Why don't you go back and read from Hebrews on and on, and uh, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Uh, let us uh, lean into what God has uh, is doing in our lives. And uh, before I leave you, let me remind you that you can check out drlinabook.com and find out all about my new book or just go to Amazon and put in my name or the title of the new book. Don't tell anyone you're reading this. I think you're gonna love this book. Hey, if you've read it, why don't you go to Amazon and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, do so. Uh, it will be an easy way to be reminded every week that there's a new episode. Hey, again, thanks for being here. We're praying for you. If you want to leave me a message, do it at lena at livingwithpower.org. And uh, with that in mind, enjoy the rest of your day. Take care and know that God loves you.